This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. This is Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. It's time to awaken an entire nation. I'll be a dog till I die. Between the hedges, look it fly. 90,000 in the stands, I'ma do my dance, make it look fine. Coach, put me in the game. UGA, yeah, the name. Yeah, the offense gon' turn up, but the defense gon' win us the game. Here's your host, Corey Burton. Welcome to a Hunker Down Monday edition of the Believe in Georgia Dogs podcast. On the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcasting network for professionals, I'm your host, Corey Burton. Joining me are two very special guests, Dane Young, who is making a return trip from UGASports.com, and from Pro Football Focus, Brent Rollins. Brent, how you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Welcome on. And you, you've got to include UGASports.com with his credentials as well, Corey, because uh, Brent and I work on our film Don't Lie piece and then a ton of all-season stuff. So okay. we're kind of a, a dynamic duo with our video and uh, data uh, combined together. There you go. Brent Rollins from UGASports.com and Pro Football Focus. And then our very own Dane Young. There we go. Um, so a lot of things happening um, with uh, the latest scrimmage. Uh, the college football season kicked off this weekend. Uh, not quite as exciting without the SEC, but that's a different story. Um, but uh, would be remiss if I didn't mention our sponsors. Uh, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. I, I I got in on the action. I uh, didn't win. I put some uh, put a couple dollars on the on the Falcons. That that worked out really well for me. Um, and uh, I took a two two bet parlay with the Bills. Uh, would have hit the uh, would have hit the spread. Uh, but did not hit. I took the under, um, and they definitely hit the over, so I lost that parlay. So uh, a lot of great things there. Uh, from game spreads and totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there are always online casinos as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. So anything going on tomorrow night that, that I should bet on, or should I just chill and wait till next week? Uh, if you've lost your money already, you might have to hold it off for a week and coop. Yeah, I guess I probably should just lick my wounds and get ready for next week. Maybe bet on some of these uh, 
ACC action. So, uh, well, maybe not. So, uh, Brett, uh, <laughs> yeah, anything? couple good games. I mean, yeah. there's there's Monday Night Football. I mean, there's good ACC action. I mean, Miami and Louisville next week will be a good game. Yeah, that should be a really good game. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I think I think Louisville's. I think they got something. They're very well coached, and uh, you know, I, I'm excited to kind of see what they do against a team like like Miami um, in, in, a, in a conference game. So, uh, but let's talk. Let's talk UGA. Um, let's uh, you know, a scrimmage just happened uh, this past. I guess this uh, this past weekend, maybe yesterday, um, and uh, some some interesting quarterback news came out of uh, came out of it. Uh, Brent, I tried to read your notes, but I think Rivals is doing an update. And so I wasn't able to get in. I was getting some bad gateway deal. But uh, what, what's going on with the quarterback situation? Uh, well, based upon, I guess you could say, insider information that, that we are lucky enough to get with UJ Sports, we pulled everything together and put notes uh, on the dog vent. And the main notes there that you saw was that Dewan Mathis got the majority of the snaps with the ones. When they were – evidently when they were rolling through sort of normal – play uh, and just up and down the field as if it no- would be a normal game. He was with the ones and Carson Beck was with the twos. And we evidently didn't see JT Daniels uh, until later on when they went more situational work uh, later in the, in the scrimmage. So is that more indicative of, of JT's knee or is it, uh, or do you think that Mathis and, and even Beck have, have got a clear advantage here? I would think it's more of a health thing and probably something where, you know, who who knows what is going on in the, in the practices from that standpoint. But based upon some of the things that, you know, that we were able to gather, it, it, it appears more of a health issue with him and that he's just kind of gradually working back. And I'm sure it's one of those things where they're being smart about it in terms of what he can and can't do and what he's cleared for and what he's not cleared for in terms of full go, which, by the way, is interesting given the fact that you know you're yeah, for two weeks from yesterday away from playing a game, so you know it's going to be interesting to see. I think based upon that, you could probably infer that maybe the health isn't necessarily where they want it to be, or it was just a precautionary thing. But you're probably going to see. I would guess that you're going to see Dewan Mathis first when uh, when kickoff comes in two weeks. Well, what does Dewan Mathis bring to the table? What makes him special? Now, this is what I will say. This is one that I can say that I've personally seen. And this is, I've attended, you know, various practices over, over the years. And I remember one last year, just watching him work. He stands out like just from an arm strength, from a presence, you know, he's six, five, six, you know, legit, like six, six. Uh, you know, we've seen some pictures from this past off season where he's even bulked up even more. And, I've had people tell me that he's one of the top five fastest guys on the team, wow. especially you know once you know with the strider, the strides that he has once you get going, you know. So you've got a absolute just, and he's got a cannon for an arm. The ball just comes out of his hand like any, you know, like anything you've really seen. So from an ability standpoint, size, speed, arm strength, there's really not much that he can't do from an ability standpoint. And this is just. You know, stuff that we've seen, here's the key, in practice. We just haven't been able to see it in the game, haven't been able to see him play the between-the-ears game and really get to see if he can, you know, lead a team and do all the things necessary to play winning football. Wow. I mean, that's, uh, you know, 
I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, the the kid was uh, coming out of high school, uh, committed to Ohio State, so that doesn't surprise me that he has a big arm and, and you know he's a dual threat kid. So, um, one of the things that that also uh, saw I saw this on Twitter um, that uh, Jermaine Burton is is standing out at, amongst the uh, the freshman receivers. Dane, is that what what are you hearing about that? Yeah, we're hearing that Georgia has a clear number two right now and that it's Jermaine Burton, which was a bit surprising to me when you think of Kiaris Jackson. Uh, Demetrius Robertson has named this been a while. I do think the dominant Blaylock injury opened the door for these freshmen to get in even sooner than they may have otherwise. Um, but it sounds like, I mean, some people are saying Jermaine Burton has the potential to be every bit as good as George Pickens. Now, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen him play personally like that, but just that took me aback because I think George Pickens is special and has been I mean, George's best receiver talent since A.J. Green, and I don't think it's very close. And so if Burton's even in that stratosphere, then George's offense can really open up uh, with an efficient passing game. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be scary because you still have the the speed and elusiveness and, and everything that you get with Demetrius Robertson being a veteran even. Um, and then, you know, obviously George Pickens is going to do what George Pickens does, which is um, be the most dominant guy in the everything. conference as a sophomore. <laughs> yeah, he's all Mr. Everything. So that's uh, that's surprising to hear. Any any names that in the receiver room that's popping up that no one would guess in a million years? Uh, Brent, you, you may can hop in on this too, but uh, to me, the, the one that I had been hearing, and it may be like injury hampered a bit, is Tommy Bush was making some plays earlier in the uh, summer heading into to the fall. Um, he, he may have something that it didn't seem like he had much of a presence in the scrimmage over the weekend, but that's a name for a guy that's been around for a while that that I think you might see on the field in, in certain situations. Okay. Yeah, maybe – Maybe he's blocking, uh, maybe he excels in, in run blocking, kind of that Tyler Simmons role. So, um, Speaking of run blocking, uh, after the first scrimmage, we the, the name we heard a lot at right tackle is Owen Condon. Is he still, is he still the guy? Is, is there anybody else emerging? Brent, I'll toss that one to you. Appears to be that way. Uh, yeah, it, 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 based on everything that you know, we've, we've been hearing, it, appear, it very much appears to be that way. And it's one of the things where it's always interesting to me when you have a completely new offense, borderline completely new offensive staff. You have Dale McGee still there as the running back coach, but you have a new offensive coordinator. You have a new offensive line coach. Now, granted, he coached them in the bowl game with Matt Luke, but you still have now a full off season to totally take a different look at, and everybody kind of has that clean slate. And that's when you it's that's when you see folks who maybe you didn't think of popping that now pop as a, as somebody who's going to get time. So he's definitely been there and, you know, it's going to be an interesting battle uh, to see who comes out and who really gets the majority of reps there because there's a lot of options. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, who else is uh contenders? I know it's not going to be Owen Condon a hundred percent of the time. I know there's probably going to be a little bit of rotation, right? Who, who's, who's the next guy up? I mean, if you've heard you know, Warren McClendon's name get snaps there, Tate Ratliff has gotten some snaps there, specifically at right tackle, at least based upon, you know, things that, that have come through to us. But, you know, now you have only sort of varying levels of experience there class-wise, but still yet zero experience from a actual on-the-field standpoint. So it's no matter who's there, you're going to have someone who 
hasn't played a lot of SEC football. And I, I think the other name to put in there, Corey, too, is Xavier Trust, just because he was getting some left tackle reps from, mm-hmm. from what our sources were telling us. And, uh, you know, he may not jump in at right tackle, but I would think that he'd be in the mix in certain situations if injuries became an issue. Is cross-training something that Matt Luke is big on? That's a great question. But I would say one thing I think you've, that we've seen is some uh, Warren Erickson at center, Trey Hill at guard, kind of thing so if that's occurring then i would bet there's a lot more of the cross training there than maybe you know because you have guys like cedric van Fran comes in as a freshman who's a center but maybe he's good enough to play guard you had clay webb who was highly recruited as a center but maybe he's good enough you know maybe he's just good enough where hey we got to get him on the field and he plays guard so to me i look at it as you have you have interior guys Center is obviously unique, but you have guys who can play guard, guys who can play tackle. Uh, I don't think you're going to see – and I think they have enough depth to where, all right, I have a group of, t- of five or six tackles that are going to play or that are my – going to fight for these two spots, and then I have a group of five or six interior spots that are fighting for the playing time. Well, it, the, the next follow-up question uh, to that would be, you know, if you do get into some of that cross-training stuff, which it appears they do with some of the interior guys – is it easier to cross train with uh, zone heavy schemes or gap heavy schemes? That's, I mean, <laughs> that's a great coach question as much as anything. I, I would, I mean, down blocking and gap blocking to me is you know, one of the, the, not necessarily the easiest, but uh, from a teaching standpoint, I know even as us teaching it in, in I coach at youth football level, it's easy. Hey, block the guy in your gap down quickly. Uh, versus the zone and, and especially at the college level when you, and as you move up in levels, the complications of zone blocking and, you know, running things like duos where you've got double teams and that looks like inside zone. I mean, how you work that, I would say, and as much as anything that high school systems and then now college systems are so zone heavy that, you know, the majority of the nation is a is in the 60 to 70 percent zone scheme whether that's inside or outside zone and that's data from that pff data there and given that you have a 60 to 70 percent zone type as your majority i think everybody every offensive lineman is basically used to that and that's and you see that heavy now in the high school ranks i know a lot of the stuff that i watch and a lot of the georgia high school football that i watch it's just heavy zone blocking in that roar. You know, it's not like we had, you know, there's a few outliers like last year, South Carolina was an outlier, very much a pull counter type team. Oklahoma is always a little bit of an outlier that they're heavily known for, you know, mixing in RPOs with guard tackle pulling. So, you know, you have those specific systems, but for the most part, people were about, you know, 50 percent inside zone, another fifteen percent that's outside, fifteen to twenty percent that's outside zone. So, zone blocking world now in offensive football. Wow, yeah, I mean that's uh, you know I, I guess when you get into the nuts and bolts of it, I guess these kids are, are these these guys coming in are, are so much more used to to zone. I I know we're dealing with kind of some of the at the high school level where where I coach, we're kind of dealing with you know, having to kind of rearrange and, and do more gap schemes because our kids just, for whatever reason, we don't have a lot of experience on our offensive line this year, and they're just not quite picking up the zone schemes that we're trying to run. 
especially the 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 interior three with the the guards in the center. Mm-hmm. So um, communication. So jump over world. the defense. Yes, and it's very difficult very much, sometimes. Very much so. And then you, when you get a miscommunication, you get a three technique that's loose and will 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 knock your head off. Exactly. So that's not fun. And speaking of three techniques that can knock your head off, uh, let's talk about Jalen Carter. I, uh, I saw that clip, as did a lot of people, um, where he just absolutely destroyed uh, Trey Hill, which you don't see that much. Fr- freshmen should not be built that way. It's crazy. Um, but is he has he you know uh, capitalized on that momentum? Is he somebody that's going to be a force to be reckoned with? Is he going to be a, a, a name that we hear quite often, even starting with the the first game at Arkansas. Brand yeah, I definitely Dane. think so. I definitely think so. I mean, I, I think that he's going to be one of the rotational guys at first, and then by the end of the season, I, I think he's going to be Georgia's potentially most productive defensive lineman. And, and it's beginning to be a pretty crowded room at this point. Malik Herring was Georgia's best player, according to PFF, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you, you want to talk about Jordan Davis, who I've seen some NFL draft analysts say with a good season, a guy like Jordan Davis could you know float up into late first round kind of territory. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I do know that Jalen Carter is going to find a spot on that defensive line because you cannot keep the man off the field from what people have been telling us. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's just to have that sheer size and strength and, and awareness of, of that. I mean, it, I guess at this point, it'd just be how fast can he pick up the scheme and, and the pressures? Because that's a veteran defense, even though they don't they may not return a ton of starters, but they do return a ton of experience because Kirby likes to rotate guys. Uh, Dane, I think the first time I had you on, we talked about Lewis Seen is, you know, I, I keep hearing that his expectations and, and the things that he's doing is even better than what we imagined, which we, we imagined he was going to be the next big star. Is that still is that still going on? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we found out that one of Georgia's tight ends, let's just say he got his bell rung by the Lewis scene one day, and uh, that told me everything I need to know, that Lewis is flying around in practice, and I think he's going to be one of the defensive leaders and really make a name uh, for himself in Kirby Smart's defense. And if you can do that, you get drafted to the NFL. It's that simple. Last thing about the scrimmage is is Big O, is he separating himself? Great nickname, by the way. I'll toss that one to you, Brent. Okay, so I honestly do not know who's talking <laughs> when you say that. Big O? Oh, that's Darnell Washington. Big big number zero. Oh. Oh, big O. Yeah. Okay. There. See, I didn't I didn't I I had not seen that anywhere. Yeah. I, I was a big little big O, I yeah. I, I read that. I will somewhere. say this. I mean, by the way, that is a good nickname for him. Because just, you know, you, you've seen the clips from him as a recruit, and he is a absolute sort of man among boys in, in just at least where he was in high school mm-hmm. specifically, but even just in the Under Armour or whatever All-American game type thing that he participated in, he's just you see the size and ability. And I think with the Trey McKitty injury uh, from whatever a couple weeks ago or last week, whatever scrimmage he, he got hurt, that it's going to open to where he's going to have to play and play in some way, shape, or form. And the, you know, coming from this previous scrimmage where some of the folks were talking about, uh, you know, Fitzpatrick and then Washington on the field often together uh, as the two tight ends in their twelve personnel. You know, that's that's encouraging. It's encouraging that he's at least there. Uh, that that already that he's gathered a playing time. But I think one of the things. You know he's going to be a red zone threat. 
Uh, and what, what will be interesting to see for me is, is he the guy that, you know, because Georgia historically has been a heavy 11 personnel team with one tight end, one back, and three receivers. And even in that 11 personnel, you would see them go a lot of double twins, two, two receivers on each side. Is Washington going to be that guy? And if he's that guy, and now you have a lineup where you have, you know, say, you know, you're, you're hearing Burton, Burton and Kirsch Jackson on one side, and then you have Darnell Washington and George Pickens on, on the other side. Now I think you line up and you have four true receiving threats. I don't know that they've truly had that in the past. I think Nada was somewhat there, but the the combine and then the draft and, and what's happened since then proved that maybe his speed wasn't where we thought it was. Right. And it never really, I mean, greatly showed up on tape from a, from a speed standpoint, but you know, what Washington makes lacks in speed, he obviously makes up for in size. And that's a, it's no matter what you do, it's a mismatch problem, even at the college level. Yeah. I mean, he looks like LeBron James. Um, and I think that's what they uh, were expecting that they were going to get out of Leonard Pope, who Leonard Pope, um, if you remember, he made an actually decent NFL career with the uh, Arizona Cardinals. But, yeah. you know, you're getting that all over again, but a more athletic version of Leonard Pope. And so that scares me um, for other defenses. I mean, that's just something that, you know, as an offensive coordinator, you look at your chops and say, oh, my God, I can't imagine a safety is going to try to cover this guy. I definitely can't imagine a, a, a corner is going to try to cover this guy. And, you know, somebody the, the only person physical enough to cover this guy is going to be a linebacker. The only person, uh, you know, obviously you can cover him speed-wise with a safety, but you're not going to get anywhere near the physical matchup. So, I mean, what do you do as a defensive coordinator? And, uh, I mean, we could spend a whole two-hour show just talking about how you could try to um, defend Darnell Washington. So, uh, we won't do that. But um, I can only imagine. Well, one thing on, t- one thing on tight ends, though, Corey, because uh, Darnell Washington is going to get a lot of the attention, and he should just – because of how he looks and how physical he is. John Fitzpatrick, all of a sudden, I think, has a very crucial, important role on Georgia's team. And I say that because if Trey McKitty is out and, uh, you know, if, if the injury – it's a very thin position right now. Uh, I, I think John Fitzpatrick will be the lead blocking tight end, and that's why he will probably be tight end number one to, to get started, uh, just because his little bit of experience, more in the system, been there longer, uh, and he's blocked a little bit for Georgia before. That's a critical role in Georgia's offense historically. Now, if that changes with Todd Munkin, we'll see. Uh, but you could basically watch where Charlie Werner was going in motion or where he was lining up, and that'd tell you half the play to start with. And maybe that's part of the problem that Georgia's offense had last year was that level of predictability. Um, but regardless, with an offensive line that's replacing so much, I think John Fitzpatrick's blocking will be absolutely critical in Georgia gaining some of those really tough, gritty third and threes or second and, and eight to make it shorter for that third down. People aren't talking about him as much, but it's a, it just a, you can't really measure how important that's going to be. And here's what I offense, imagine with I Fitzpatrick uh, also. Um, and, and you could do the same with Washington if he becomes a good run blocker, but have that 21 personnel package where you have cook Zeus, and then you have Fitzpatrick either as an attached tight end or, Maybe he cut, maybe he steps out on the wing uh, and, and motions across, and you do some stuff like that with him. But um, you know, I can only imagine just having you know the ability and 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 the functionality of having somebody like 
Darnell Washington with his hand down um, and, and being a force in the passing game there, being a force run uh, run blocking there. I, I can only imagine when you look like that, you, you have to be a pretty good run blocker. So uh, there's there's just a lot you can do, I think, now um, with, with guys like that, with uh, Zeus and, and James Cook, things like that. And I've heard that they're absolutely going off and they're going to be also uh, part of the centerpiece of this offense. So um, what, what, you know, Along the lines of Brent, I'll throw this to you first. Along the lines of twenty-one personnel, twenty personnel type formations, how much of that do you anticipate seeing this year with weapons like James Cook and Zamir White, and even the guys they got behind them? That's what I think. I'd say that's the most fascinating thing to me is what is Georgia's offense going to sort of quote look like? Because one of the interesting things, and and Dan and I did this when Todd Munkin was hired as offensive coordinator is when you look at, you know, his history, he's adapted wherever he's been and done a, and done a variety of things, mm-hmm. Oklahoma state, Southern miss. And then obviously he's sort of, the NFL is very uh, almost uh, ubiquitously the same. I mean, it's kind of, it's, there's not a ton of differentiation, at least from a personnel standpoint within the NFL. Uh, so, you know, how, how he uses how, and how much he uses White and then Cook together. Because when he had Edo Smith and Jalen Richard, who were still in the league uh, at Southern Miss, they ran two backs almost 50% of the time, mm-hmm. which was as much as, if not more, than anyone in college football at that time uh, with Southern Miss. And the quarterback, Nick Mullins, still had 4,000 yards passing. So it, from offensively, I, I'm just fascinated to see because as much as, you know, when you have inexperience at tight end or injuries, whatever you may be, and then you have a r- true, if you have a true running set threat, threat at quarterback, and Dewan Mathis is your quarterback, and he sort of takes over that job in some way, shape, or form. You could, if you wanted to, you could look very sort of Pat White, Steve Slayton, old school, Rich Rod, West Virginia, 20 personnel Mm -hmm. with two backs, no tight end, three receivers with a lot of zone read, a lot of QB run, and a lot of just causing headaches for defenses in that aspect. So it's going to be to me just the most interesting thing to see how they look. Do they look just very similar to what they've looked in the past and it's different players and it's maybe – the new offensive coaches have added more layering, i.e., plays off of plays, off of play, counters to everything. Mm-hmm. Have they, you know, is it going to be in game adjustments where you see more consistency? That's what to me is going to be fascinating. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see kind of how they roll it out there because uh, even when he used Jalen Richard and Ido Smith, that he had not only did he use the split formation, but he had. Um, he would have Richard in, in the pistol and Ido Smith right next to the quarterback, kind of like in a broken eye. And then he would he would uh, flare out Edo Smith, and they would just run inside zone, or they would fake the inside zone and throw the screen. Sometimes they had a triple option off of it, where they would uh, bring Mullins into it, which I think they could do with Dewan. I mean, they did a lot of crazy things with those formations. And then he would get in the uh, ten personnel open, uh, you know, two by two, which I think he could get into some of those looks with with James Cook as a slot receiver, bring him bring him across and run jet sweep. Yeah. Um, he can put him, you know, he can put him literally anywhere he wants to um, and, and use him as a weapon. And he could be kind of fill that uh, fourth receiver slot um, where you have 
You know, you could do something where you have Darnell Washington as a tight end. You know, you have Pickens and Cook on one side uh, split out, and then you have, you know, either Jermaine Burton, Kearse Jackson, you know, Matt Landers, Tommy Bush, whoever on, on that split inside um, as a solo receiver, who, whoever you whoever you kind of feel like you want or, or need or whatever, you know, based on whatever concept you're trying to accomplish, who does what well. But um, th- there's so many possibilities. Um, you could get, I mean, and the question is fascinating because I think it's going to tell you a lot about, to me, your head coach. Because if you, if George's offense from a look standpoint looks basically the same as we've seen over the past you know, four years, you're, that's kind of going to, to me, give you a sense of, hey, this is the offense we want to run and that decision is more, more top down as opposed to, Hey, OC, take your offense, do whatever you want with it, go for it kind of thing. I think that's to me personally, that's just, you're going to learn things from that. And and so uh, Brent, you know, why do you, why do you think he would have brought in somebody like Todd Monken, who obviously has been successful everywhere he's been. And then you bring in another spread guy, Buster Faulkner, um, to kind of supplement him as a as a uh, quality control guy, you you start recruiting all these uh, big name receivers. All of a sudden, you know, the trends are starting to to point to okay. Kirby's like, well, maybe I micromanage the offense a little bit too much in my first three years. Going into year four, um, you know, maybe maybe I need to back off a little bit. So um, and and let them do their thing. It, do you do you feel like it's trending towards that direction? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I think that hire says a lot, uh, but, and then that's why to me, the, the question of how they look is going to be, is fascinating just because, and, and here's the thing. It's, it's one of those where can they, who knows what they can do because maybe they feel limited. They're limited at the quarterback position or they thought, Oh, we're going to have our offense in a certain way because of we have a experienced, big time tool type QB and Jamie Newman. And then all of a sudden now he's not there. So now we need to look a little different. We need to make sure that, you know, now we have not as much experience and we're going to look a certain way. And then even if, you know, Hey, JT Daniels is the guy and he comes through and he becomes the guy Well, he's nowhere near the running threat that Mathis is and or Jamie Newman was, or would, would have been. It, it's it, <laughs> how their offense looks is just going to be, you know, Primetime, I must watch, and I'm going to be fascinated by how it turns out because you just don't know. You really, it's, there's a lot. You have you have three, or you have sort of some certainties. You think George Pickens is going to be really good, and more often than not, be the best receiver on the field. You know your running backs have talent beyond imagination, and maybe you know just haven't quite gotten the opportunities. But the talent is there from a running back standpoint. You know you have four guys along the offensive line who have played a lot of SEC football or a good chunk of SEC football in Schaefer Hill, Cleveland, and Sawyer. So you have some knowns, but, you know, at the most important position, you also have some unknowns. So it's it's just a fascinating storyline to me of how their offense looks this year. It goes beyond Monken and Buster Faulkner, too, though. Look at the other new hire on the offensive coaching staff, Matt Luke, and what 
Ole Miss did and last year with John Rice Plumley. That was a lot of creative, uh, in some ways, innovative things where LSU, the national championship winning team, after Ole Miss plays LSU, Dave Aranda, the defensive coordinator, essentially said, yeah, we weren't ready for that. And it's why it was such a high yeah, scoring I mean, game. That's, uh, you, know, you know, I didn't even think about that. Because I, I just, I, I guess I didn't classify him as a new hire because he was in the bowl game and you kind of just got used to seeing him around. So, um, but yeah, I mean, Ole Miss did a lot of crazy stuff with, uh, with John Reese Plumley, and you know, their, their quarterback battles kind of interesting now with, with Lane Kiffin. But, um, so yeah, I, I'm excited to see kind of where they go and, and how they use their weapons. I think they've got a lot of interesting weapons. I think James Cook is somebody, um, that is very unique in what he can do and, and the fact that he, can do it all, just hasn't quite had the opportunities to to really showcase his abilities. Whether your theory is the system wasn't right for him, or you know, what, whatever whatever you may say about that situation, I, I he's just had great players in front of him. Yeah, that too. I mean, that's part of the situation. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's you know, I think it's going to be fun to see who emerges as that number two. Does Jermaine Burton stay that way? Does Roseme make some noise now? Does you know when Arian Smith gets back, is he somebody that you know, that steps in and really gets some time. And I think you have a really competitive wide receiver room um, that's going to be exciting because there's not a ton of experience behind George Pickens. So it's going to kind of be fun to see those guys um, see who emerges out of that, out of that pile. I think Harris Jackson is, is another really critical part of the offense for that downfield blocking that you get from wide receivers. He's just such a physical, I mean, Peach County boys just play different yeah. kind of football. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're raised to do it differently. And uh, and Kiaris is all that and more, and he's a really bright kid. And I think he's, uh, yeah, his stats may never jump off the board compared to some of the other receivers around him. But I think he's just such a a really valuable piece of the offense. That well, you're going to see things. this offense uh, take place September 26th at Arkansas. Really long road trip. That kind of stands out to me um, to start off the year. Uh, the Sam Pittman Bowl, uh, Brent. What 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 stands out about this game is Felipe Franks. Transfer quarterback is he going to make a difference? Is is Raheem Boyd somebody um, that's going to make a difference? What 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 does Arkansas have? Uh, you you pretty much listed it. <laughs> uh, un- unfortunately for them, uh, it's it's not something where now they have some experience and they have some receivers who can make plays and I think are, are going to be somewhat you know sort of, I guess, uh, gain some yards and do some things against Georgia's defense for a little bit. But from the totality of their offensive stamp, uh, talent that's been that's returning, uh-huh. I think they may have had the lowest uh, numbered players in the SEC in terms of players returning with a PFF grade of 70 or higher. Yeah. It, it was... Wow. It was not much. Uh, they're, 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 and the, even their, their best defensive players are now in the league. So it's... They, he's starting from scratch, but hey, you know it's one of those things where you're going to play a coach in the first game who just left your program and knows every little detail about you and is going to know everything for the most part that you do. Can you uh, now overcome that from a talent standpoint? Yes, you should, but it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I can't wait to see how he game plans him. Uh, what do you think, Dane? I think it's as much of a preseason scrimmage type game in the regular season as you can find in an all SEC schedule. And for that, I think Georgia got quite lucky from the scheduling gods that 
Uh, they get to ease into the season, unlike other teams where Auburn's playing Kentucky to start. And I think that's going to be such an intriguing, yeah. crazy matchup. I, Georgia, you know, it may be tight early, but if, if Georgia's not running away by halftime, I will be stunned. Uh, I just don't think Arkansas has anywhere near the firepower to compete with Georgia, especially in the long haul. Well, for, I just saw for Coastal Carolina pretty much whip Kansas up and down the field, so I guess anything's possible, but – um, I would be surprised as well, but you know, you spoke about Auburn. Uh, that's the next game up at Gladys at home. Um, you know, Bo Nix, but what we know, we know, we know about Bo Nix, but what else does Gus Malzahn going to, going to throw at us? I think one thing that's crazy about that game is Bo Nix. Uh, people don't remember another play caller doing things for him. So this is not Gus Malzahn this year. This is oh, yeah. uh, back to Chad Morris, uh, who just left Arkansas. And so that is an interesting wrinkle because typically Gus Malzahn has called plays for Auburn. The offense plays better. And when he's kind of delegated that to someone else, it hasn't been quite as good. So he needs to reverse the uh, course on that. He's very high on Chad Morris. And you know, Chad Morris did some really good things at Clemson, but it could not have gone worse for him in Arkansas. So I think you're going to see really early if Bo Nix has kind of taken a, a step in development that I think is really crucial for him um, to be one of the SEC's better quarterbacks. I thought it was quite average last season. And, uh, you know, Auburn does have some playmakers that are replacing a lot at running back. So that's kind of a circus to figure out what's going on there. But uh, you'll be hard-pressed to find many receivers in the conference better than Seth Williams. Right. And, Brent, uh, with, Jatar- uh, with Whitlow going and transferring, I think he went to um, Northern Illinois, Western, somewhere, Western Michigan, I think. I think it was Northern Illinois. Yeah, some, somewhere in the MAC, I think. Uh, so what are the, what, how do they replace him at running back? What do they have coming back there? I mean, you have one of the highest uh, ranked running back recruits in Tank Bigsby. Uh, you have other sort of guys that have gotten carries before in the past. But Auburn, to me, is is not going to be about – I mean, obviously the running game is always what Gus has prided himself on and being strong in. But their offense, if it takes the next step to being SEC West contender type offense, it's because of what Dane said with the quarterback position, and it's because of the experience they have on the outside. Because not only do you have Seth Williams, who's the big physical guy, but you have speed burner extraordinaire Anthony Schwartz. Uh, you have Stove coming back along in the slot. So you have your you know, quarterback's best friends, is, is sort of three best receivers, yeah. all back. And that plus the addition of you know, Chad Morris, who might bring some different you know, to that, you know, who knows? That'll be that will be interesting to see. But it's it's definitely a interesting schedule and dynamic for the dogs in that they got that Arkansas game, like Dane talked about first, which is one you should take care of, but all, and sort of get the kinks worked out. But then game two, it's all right. Here we go, big time. Well, with game. what they lost on defense with Davidson and Derek Brown, I mean, those were two okay uh, defensive linemen. Um, you know they had they still have Big Cat Bryant. They still have Owen Popo. Um, I pro- I'm pretty sure I butchered that name. Uh, they have KJ Britt at linebacker. I mean, do they have anything on the back end? Yep. McCreary, Roger McCreary is one of the highest rated returning corners uh, in the conference. Uh, you also have experienced guy in Tyron Truesdell at defensive line for them that has graded out well for us in the past. But you know that when you have now, Popo, who was uh, experienced 
or was a true freshman a year ago, now has another year of experience. He wasn't very highly graded, by the way, but still another year of experience. You have Britt, you have McLean, uh, Zagobi McLean, uh, that's more of coverage linebacker, but still very, very good and highly graded in our system, plus some of the experience they have on the back end. And one of the things that we sort of uh, with MPFF talk a lot about is how important coverage is in relation to pass rush. In the NFL, it's more vital, but it still is is vital to the defense as a whole and how you succeed as a defense is how well do you cover uh, because the ball comes out so quickly in most in most offenses now. So, you know, having the experience and solid players on the back end and, and the second level kind of might help overcome some of the talent losses along the defensive line for them. And for Auburn, it helps so much that Kevin Steele is the one running that defense. He's been one of the SEC's more consistent coordinators for, for quite a while, and especially in this uh, recent tenure at Auburn. And I know that they're absolutely thrilled to have uh, him there. I will say, though, that if there's a team in the conference that may get a little more rattled or, or maybe not generate as much energy because they were they will not have fans in the stands, it's probably Auburn because there is not a, a, a team that has more momentum swings course of a game than the Auburn Tigers. That is very true. I mean that that place when it's rocking, they're playing really well, and and when they lose the momentum, you you can tell, and that's definitely that's definitely part of it. So, um, I live in Big Orange Country. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, Brent, what? Uh, tell me what I can tell uh, my Tennessee friends when I talk trash to them um, about what they have and what they don't have. <laughs> uh, I mean, they have their quarterback returning. How confident are you in, in your quarterback? He's been very up and down, uh, needless to say, throughout his career where he's shown some some you know unbelievable throws and made some really good plays, and then you know, the consistency is just not there. But Tennessee finally has, from an offensive line standpoint, I think a truly SEC caliber offensive line. You know, with Trey Smith returning, which I, I personally, I was shocked that he returned. Uh, but, you know, yeah, I was given, too. given that, uh, he's back. You have you had two true freshmen starting a tackle for them a year ago. Uh, you have Jameer Johnson as well coming back for them. So you know along the offensive line, they're going to be there. They have two good running backs that are there in Chandler and Gray. Uh, defensively is where I think you know you just you lo- they lost their best players along on the defensive side of the football. You still return you know Aubrey Solomon, who's a you know Georgia kid. Uh, from from Lee County, uh, and then Schamberger and Jalen McCullough back on on the back end. But losing Nigel Warrior, losing uh, Taylor on the on the edge, those were sort of those were their two highest graded players a season ago. And it'll be interesting to see who who takes that place and who takes the lead. One as the leader of the secondary, and then two uh, as that sort of edge defender, pass rush player for them. Yeah, I mean that's quite a bit, and uh, you know, they seem like Dane. They seem like a wild card team to me, uh, as far as we don't know. Kind of, we know they're going to be good at running the ball with with Gray and Chandler, but outside of that, I really because they're so up and down, I really can't. I really can't say what they're going to be like. I think Tennessee would have been a little bit better if Cade Mays would have been able to get that waiver approved. It doesn't appear that that's the case. And uh, that would have just given them another piece on the offensive line that has a lot of SEC experience. And then I, I think combined with the, you know, the guys they have now, plus that it would have been 
one of the top two or three offensive lines in, in the conference, uh, which is crazy to think compared to what Tennessee was. Look, until Tennessee finds a way to beat Florida, you really can't believe in Tennessee. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they've snuck out some yeah. games against other teams. They, they, they beat Georgia, you know, with that Hail Mary a few years ago. They beat Auburn on the road at Jordan-Hare uh, in Pruitt's first year. But until they find a way to beat Florida, that's kind of the mental hurdle for that program, I think. Well, speaking of Florida, they, uh, after a really, what I think is a really tough two-game gauntlet with uh, at Bama and on the road at Kentucky, then you get a bye week. Uh, then you get Florida a week later in Jacksonville. What What is that going to look like? Is Kyle Trask somebody that um, is going to capitalize in year two? Um, do they? Is he one of those quarterbacks that people have figured out and are going to throw the book at him? I would be a little surprised if Trask is actually the quarterback when Georgia plays Florida. I think Aaron is a really and I think that he kind of fits more modern offenses. I, I, I could be wrong in that, but that's the assessment that I had. I don't think Trask did anything special. I think he stabilized a program that uh, was really headed toward a horrible offensive season with Felipe Franks. And what Trask did was quite remarkable just to give Florida, you know, a, a top 10 kind of a team that could threaten some, some other teams. They weren't one of the nation's best, but they were a really solid football team and they could kind of lean on the defense, which uh, one of the things that, that I realized in, in doing our offseason, uh, you know, who to watch for when Georgia plays a series with Brent is that Kyer Elam, uh, Florida's now true sophomore cornerback, probably the second best corner in the country right now. Uh, and I just did not realize he was that great last year. And, and when you've got one of those guys, man, you can cut off, you know, a good quadrant of the field on defense and the Gators will be a good defensive team once again. Brent? I, the Trask question is one that sort of we uh, at PFF have sparked a lot of debate uh, this off season because his grade, you know, while his traditional stats were, you know, he had almost 3,000 passing yards, you know, mid-20s touchdowns, and I think maybe like, what do you have, like seven or eight-ish interceptions. You know, his traditional stats were really good. But his grade from our perspective was, you know, slightly above average. I think he was great at 69.9 overall uh, in the past season. It was sort of like, hey, what's, what's the mismatch here? And, and for us, one of the things that we do at PFF is it's, one, it's every single play. And it's a lot of times yeah. people forget that we're grading on not necessarily the result, but it's the individual player. Thus, for example, if Trask throws a quick bubble to Kadarius Tony and he you know, breaks four tackles and takes it 70 yards to the house, that's a 70 yards for Trask and touchdown pass in the traditional stat world. That's an expected throw in the quarterback world. You should complete a little bubble pass. It's a zero-graded play. You know, versus you know, 30 yards over the shoulder of the defender for the touchdown with somebody in your face type throw. So we're looking more at the individual. And with Trask, one of the things you saw with him was he was one of the lowest in the country in what we term uh, our big-time throws, which is the highest-graded throws, the, like I just said, the, you know, somebody in your face, 30 yards over, over the shoulder of the defender, right into the basket in the corner end zone type throw. He was one of the lowest in that metric versus what we also term as turnover-worthy plays. And while he had seven interceptions, he had 22 turnover-worthy plays. 
And what that means is he had a lot of dropped interceptions, you know, mm. or fumbles or just bad reads where this should, should have turned into something that was negative for his offense. But because of the, the defense, it's mishap there, you know, they didn't complete the interception or something like that, that it didn't turn into a you know, negative play. So given that, I, it'll be interesting to see how his season goes. And to me, it's very interesting because he kind of should come in with this, you know, aura and confidence that he's probably never, that he's never had in his life because he's never gone into an off season as the guy. You know, last year was his first year starting ever. Right. I think he, or since high school yeah. or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he, I don't think he started in high yeah, school. Right. It was something of that ill. And yeah, he, he backed up the at King. Right. That's what it was. And so he's a first time starter, and now he's going into off season where he's the guy. And you know, maybe there's a confidence about him, and and you know those those type of plays that we're talking about, he gets rid of those turnover worthy plays, and because he, he is very accurate from an accuracy standpoint, he is very accurate, and I think that's what sort of uplifted the Florida offense as much as anything compared to Felipe Franks is that he was just consistently accurate and made throws that needed to be made, as opposed to Franks making you know great throw one time and then three really bad ones. So he brought consistency. Now can he take that step up? That it's going to be interesting to see. Does those do those metrics kind of uh, law of averages even themselves out and he you know steps up in one, drops in the other? Or does he, you know, those act those things kind of come back to haunt him and the turnover luck go against him and somebody like Emory Jones is sitting there waiting to waiting to pounce on the playing time and, and take advantage of it. That it's they are going to be an interesting team to follow all in the season for simply that reason. And plus they have a tough schedule. Yeah, very tough schedule. And uh, they open with Ole Miss. Uh, but Kyle Pitts is somebody on that offense that, that really intrigues me. He's somebody uh, that you that you dream about at the tight end position who um, what Darnell Washington can be is, is a nightmare uh, mismatch. And, and he's, he's even more athletic than what Darnell Washington is. And uh, he scares me. Uh, well, how did PFF grade him? Fitz uh, was one of the, is one of the highest grade, returning graded tight ends in the country. Uh, somebody that were I think his actual grade though was right in the low seventies. Mainly, uh, I think his receiving grade was up near around eighty, but his overall was in the seventies because he's was I think almost last or fifth from last in terms of uh, run blocking grade among qualifying tight ends. So obviously he is a receiving threat and a receiving threat only, but he's really good at that. And he's a one of those kids who you look at as a possible first round pick next year and a true talent at that position as a receiver. Brent, I just looked right. up the numbers in the article that we did. Kyle Pitts, 70 overall PFF grade. Uh, receiving grade was 78.1. Pass blocking, 69.6. Run blocking, 42.6. Ooh. Ooh, not not good. Not good. Um, <laughs> not good. Not good run blocker. I guess they're. Uh, I guess he's just kind of their slot receiver. So, uh, Dane, is there any game uh, towards towards the end of the season now? Now that we've kind of had time to chew on it with, uh, you know, at Missouri, uh, at home against Mississippi State, at South Carolina, at home versus Vandy. That four game stretch. Is there any game that stands out to you that that scares you or? Gives you reason to say, okay, maybe this will be a tough one to get through. 
not necessarily that it's scary, but you know, South Carolina, based on how last year went, you, you kind of have that on your radar a bit. And with Mike Bobo being there and how he well he would know a Kirby Smart defense, um, you know, I, I think South Carolina has some talent. But based on our uh, analysis that we did in the offseason, I mean, South Carolina is re- replacing a lot, especially in their defensive front. With- reason that South Carolina beat Georgia uh, last season. So I, I think Georgia will get its redemption against South Carolina, but that game, it, it can get squirrely. And look, at the SEC, when you have 10 games on the conference schedule, I don't see any team going undefeated through this. Uh, and, and I'm probably kind of hovering probably around like an eight and two for Georgia. Uh, for, there's going to be some slip up somewhere. Uh, and if it happens in the back end, that it's just going to be really unfortunate because this Georgia defense especially is going to have the Bulldogs in, in the championship contention as long as they don't have those hiccups. Brent, any games stand out to you? There's two, ga- there's two big games to me, or two games that m- most stand out to me. Obviously, Alabama is what it is, and that's going to be a, a great matchup and, and game to watch and, just, and see. But it's the next week when you got to go to Kentucky mm-hmm. and you put, and that it's not necessarily the effect of, or, you know, you, you might go win at Bama, but whether you win or lose at Bama, you're going to play a massively physical game at Bama. And then you're going to come right back around the next week and play against a very talented and very physical team in Kentucky. So that game to me is one that is for me circled on the calendar as a, because just say, hey, you go, you go to Alabama and you win. You beat Alabama. Now you've got letdown, possible letdown game against a very physical team. Versus even, or even if you don't beat Alabama, you still have a second week against a, vis- a physical team after playing Alabama. So that one's one. The other one that to me, and this is just my own intrigue as much as anything, is the Mississippi State game. I am beyond excited to see what Mike Leach does in the SEC. I, I, you know, I think I tweeted something about a couple weeks back in the PFF era, which is, this is, I think our seventh season now grading college games, the worst season that a quarterback, a Mike Leach quarterback has had is 3,800 yards, 30 touchdowns, you know, 10 picks and a 70 something grade from a quarter, from the quarterback position. So, you know, versus, you know, what Gardner Minshew did a couple years ago where he's, his numbers are sort of off the charts. So to me, that game is going to be very just fun and intriguing because of what Mike Leach brings to the league, what his offense brings to the league. And I also think it's a great game for Georgia to have on the back end of the schedule because say everything just goes nice and rosy and you are humming along and you go beat Alabama. You go beat Kentucky. You go, you, you're and you're undefeated going into that game. Or you're even you played Alabama really close and maybe lost in a row, but you've won every other game. Something like that. Now you play Mississippi State, who's going to do something and and just throwing the ball all over the place. That you're going to see either eventually again against Alabama or you know in a potential playoff scenario against an Oklahoma or a, or a Clemson or something of that nature. So that game as much for prep standpoint and seeing that type of offense is going to be fun to watch for me. So those are the two for me. Yeah, I agree about Mississippi State. I'm very, very much intrigued. I kind of fall under more of a uh, – I'm kind of probably closer to an Oklahoma, 
Mississippi State or Mike Leach type air raid system with, with, with our high school. So I, I usually pay pretty close attention to things that they do. So, um, well, Brent, it, Dane, it was great having you guys on. Um, any last words? I'll start with you, Dane. Um, give me a closing statement. Yeah. So one thing that we're doing at UGASports.com is we are launching a second weekly podcast and you can uh, hear from uh, Brent and myself with uh, head coach Jim Donnan, former head coach of Georgia. Uh, we're going to call it with the subheads going to be Donna and Dane and Doc because Brent is uh, not only kind of like a, a, a Doc with his stats with PFF, but uh, that's in his uh, background too with uh, some pharmacy education stuff. So so, um, you know, if you want to hear more about uh, what we're doing with our film, don't lie piece that was such a hit on UGASports.com. Uh, this is going to be Thursdays. I think we'll do it around noon Eastern time, but Thursday afternoons uh, on the UGA Sports Live podcast feed. We'll get that pumped out there. Awesome, man! I can't wait to hear that stuff. I, 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 the, I did, went through the um, the Raven County uh, Brock Vandegrift game uh, on y'all's uh, film study. That was pretty good. Brent, any last words? I just echo what Dane said. It's going to be fun, fun to do, and, and fun to talk with Coach. I, I never have a dull conversation when I when I talk to Coach Don. It's fun, always fun to talk football. That that podcast is more of an SEC centric. So, like the, the flagship podcast for UGASports.com is the Tuesday show with uh, Jim Donnan and Rodney Navalsi, Jay Cruz, and then I've been on it since the uh, the pandemic began for some producing and, and tech work and just you know lousy takes that come along uh, every so often. So um, <laughs> the, the hot takes. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's the flagship UGA Sports podcast. We just want to have a little flavor added where we can chat more broadly about the SEC. Yeah, it's always good. I'm 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 actually um I'm actually doing something similar. So I've got something in the works. It's not really um not really out there yet, but I've got something in the works. But um guys, it it was again it was it was uh it was nice of you guys to join me. I, I really appreciate it. Brent, it was great to meet you. Uh Dane, it was great to have you on again. And uh let's uh let's do this again soon and uh you know, best of luck with your uh or best of luck with your new podcast, your new venture. Uh, continued success with that and uh can i get a go dogs from you guys <laughs> go dogs that's right <laughs> i'm a journalist man let, let me let, let me I, let me shy away from the, the piece of it but put, I your, put your homer hat on put your put your fan hey, hat when, they're on more, when they win and they're more interesting hey our life is is, is way more interesting it, it, if they were like three and eight every year it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as fun so you know we we could all be Jayhawks. Just think about that. Hey, we could uh, all be Jayhawks. There you go. There, there's your. I get, to, I get to do uh, special teams grading for that game coming up here soon. So that'll be awesome. <laughs> that sounds fun. Okay, uh, don't operate any heavy machinery when you uh, when you do that. So cool. Um, well, guys, uh, again, uh, pleasure to have you guys. And um, if uh, if you're listening to this, uh, tune into their show every Thursday. Uh, Donnan, Dane and the doc. So uh, guys, thank you for, for joining me and uh, I appreciate it. Thanks, right, Thank you. Appreciate it. This is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer. He hears things differently to the untrained ear. Everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.